Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody today. My name is Elliot. I am the Connection Pastor here, and I'm excited to be with you this morning doing today's uh, message. We are, like Kathy said, wrapping up this God Is series, and the reason that we've been going through this series and um, kind of exploring this idea of who is God uh, is for several reasons. One being, if you were to go out and you were to poll Americans and ask them if they believe in God, 90%, 9 out of 10, would say, yes, they believe in God. And that's interesting because when we start talking to people and we start trying to figure out, okay, like, who is this God that we believe in, and we start getting descriptions and details, it becomes pretty apparent rather quickly that we're not all talking about the same God. There are a bunch of different ideas about God out there, and we're not all on the same page. And the reality is, is God does not, he doesn't conform to our ideas about him. Just because we have an opinion about God and we think something about God doesn't mean that's who God is. And so if we're going to believe in God, we need to know who he actually is. Actually, what we discover as we go through the Bible and we kind of unpack this idea of who is God, what we discover is the God of the Bible is unlike anything we could have come up with on our own. The God of the Bible, actually the word we use to describe him is the word trinity. It's a word that means three in one, triunity, three in one. And the reason that we use this word is describing this important reality about God that he is three persons, each person is fully God, but there's still only one being, and that's the fact that there's only one God. God is a three in one God, three separate, distinct, unique persons, but they make up who God is. And so as you unpack this idea, what you find is through the Bible, God reveals himself, and when he does, he reveals himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not three separate names of one person, but each name identifies a separate person, a separate person of the Trinity. And when you start to examine the names, you discover that each person plays a specific role. And so it's the Father that has a will. He's the planner. He's the one who, who he kind of runs everything. He's the one that, that he's got a plan for us individually, and that's a plan because he's good and he's loving and he wants what's best for us. He has a will for our lives. He, he's the one that kind of comes up with the ideas in order for them to get in motion. And then it's the son. The son is the implementer of the father's plans. He takes what the father has willed and he he puts energy behind that and puts muscle behind that and really kind of starts to bring it to fruition. And then that brings us to the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays. See, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who takes what the Father willed and what the Son implemented, and the Holy Spirit is the one who he applies it to individual lives. He applies it to people like you and to a life like my life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes God's will carried out by the Son, and he brings it to life in our lives. He is the personal presence of God brought to bear on a human life, bringing God's purpose and plan into fruition. He applies it to us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And last week, one of the things that we talked about as we looked at the role of the Son is we talked about this reality that everyone is in need of saving. And Hurricane Harvey, which happened a few weeks ago, and we're still recovering from in that part of the country, and then now Hurricane Irma, which is making its way through Florida, is just a reminder to us that when people are in trouble, when when human life is in danger, it needs to be saved. It needs to be rescued. People need to intervene. 
And that points to an even bigger tragedy that's happening, and that's what's happened as a result of our sin. See, because of our sin, what we've done is we've created a distance between us and God. There's now this separation because of sin. And it's as if this storm of sin that we've gotten caught up in and we've, we've chosen to participate in, it's as if this storm has then swept us out and now we find ourselves in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We're out there all alone. There's no flotation device. There's no land in sight. And we're just treading water. And some of us might be better swimmers than others, but nobody can tread water forever. And so when you speak of a life, you know, maybe you have, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, maybe some people live a little longer. Maybe it's, maybe it's 80, 90 years when you speak of how much time a person has. But, but even though some people might be better swimmers than others and some people might live longer than others, no one can swim across the Pacific Ocean. So when it comes to this moral gap between us and God, no one's good enough to cover that distance. No one can do enough good or can be moral enough to bridge that gap. And so because we're out there treading water, it's really only a matter of time before our strength gives out and we slip below the surface and then we sink into the deep forever. And that decision that we made to separate ourselves from God, that decision, that becomes permanent. So what that means is there's actually just a limited window of time in which we can be rescued. And so the father, he came up with a plan. He's the one who came up with a will in order for us to be saved. Actually, he did this before we were even aware of the situation that we find ourselves in. He did this before we even had the sense to cry out for help. He came up with a plan, a rescue plan. And then the son, he is the one who launched the boat into the storms of this world, and he's crossed the ocean, and now he's the one who's reaching out his hand and offering forgiveness. The Bible says that he actually, he came from heaven, God in flesh. He took on a body and became a man. He experienced what we experience. He suffered like we suffer. He died so that we could receive forgiveness from the Father. He carried out the rescue mission. It was his energy, his muscle that made this happen. And now he's reaching out his hand. But the reality is, is even with everything that the Father willed and all the work that's been done by the Son, the reality is, is we don't have the ability to get our arms up out of the water and grab a hold of the hand of Jesus. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit, he can, he can crack open a hard, dead heart like ours so that we realize our need. And what the Holy Spirit does is he can, he can flip the lights on on the inside so that we're aware of our situation and that we need saving and that Jesus is the only one with an extended hand to save us. And the Holy Spirit, he can get inside of our li- a life like ours, and not only does he give us this understanding, but then he actually can give us the power to then reach hold and grab a hold of the hand of Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit, he is the personal presence of God that comes and interacts, applies God's will and plan to our lives so that we can receive what Jesus has offered to us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, what's interesting as you read through the Bible, one of the things that you notice is you notice a change in the way that people have interacted with the Holy Spirit, kind of the relationship between the Holy Spirit and humanity. And in the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, you see this interaction play out, and what happens is, is the Holy Spirit would come and descend on, a, on an individual or a group, but then he would, he would depart, he would return. 
he would, he would come and descend, and there would be a new understanding, a new power that they would receive because of his presence. But then he would leave, and that power and that understanding would go with him. And the reason that he would do this over and over again, he would descend just for a short period, and then he would return, is because when it comes to sinful people like us, God's presence can only reside for a brief period of time before he has to deal with the sin. God's presence can only reside for a brief period of time before he has to bring about judgment on the sin. So what the Holy Spirit would do is he would, he would descend and just a fraction of his power would be revealed. But then he would, he would then return. And you see this happen over and over. One of the most obvious examples of this is in the life of a guy named Saul. He's, he was the first king of Israel. He's, his name is King Saul. And when it came to King Saul, what we read about him is we discover he was, he, physically he was a large man. He was a very strong man. And it even says that he was an attractive man. He was the kind of guy that when people saw him, they said, he's going to be a king and he's going to be a strong leader just from physical appearance. But the reality is, is, is he, was a, he was a timid man. He was actually a very weak and passive man. And sometimes when faced with the challenges of leading, he would actually run and he would hide. But then the Spirit of God would descend upon Saul and his timidity would leave him and suddenly he was a man of great courage. But then the Spirit would leave and he would just go right back to who he was before. And you see this happen over and over again when it comes to the relationship between the Holy Spirit and humanity. But then something happens in the New Testament, something changes, and Jesus comes. And because of what Jesus does, now there's an opportunity for us to have a new kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. See, what Jesus did in him, in him coming and, and doing the work in order to reach out his hand and offer us forgiveness, when he offers that forgiveness, his forgiveness functions similar to insulation. One way to think of it is, is because, again, because we're sinful people, God's presence has to deal with the sin, but because Jesus offers us forgiveness, we've been declared not guilty. So his 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 offer of forgiveness for us is really kind of this buffer, this protective lining that allows the Holy Spirit to come and permanently live within us. Because of Jesus' forgiveness, we've been declared not guilty. We've been set free of the consequences. So then it's not just a temporary, he comes and then he goes. No, he can actually come and he can reside inside of us, empowering us, giving us understanding and a new ability that we never had before. And Jesus understood this, and so that's why at the end of Jesus' time here on earth, Jesus was excited to return back to heaven because he knew we were getting ready to experience this new relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is actually what it says in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, he's, he's gathered his followers together. He's risen from the grave. He's getting ready to return to heaven. He's gathered his followers together, and then this is what it says. It says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So really what they're asking him is they're saying, hey, are you going to set up a physical kingdom here? We are an oppressed people. We're under the rule of Rome. So are you going to free us from our oppressors and set up this physical government here? That's the question they ask him. And then notice how he answers. Notice the Trinity actually in this passage. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He points to the fact that, you know what, that's really a Father's will question. The Father's involved. And then he says, but the Father has something even better in mind. What he says is, he says, but you, even better than if I set up a physical government here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
So what Jesus is saying is they're, they're saying, hey, Jesus, you just conquered death. We know that you're God in flesh. We know that you're God. We know that you have the power. So when are you going to set up this, this government here? When are you going to set up this kingdom and give us the kingdom back? When are you going to do that? He says, you know what? That's really a father question, but I know the father's plan is to send the Holy Spirit for you, which is even better than if I stayed here and set up a physical government. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what happens? With him comes power. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit brings with him power? What, what is this power? What's the power for? How does it work? That's what I want to look at. I want to look at this power that the Holy Spirit brings with him. And what I want to look at today is I want to look at two benefits of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but then there's also a condition that goes with those two benefits. So let's start by looking at the benefits. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to understand We now have the power to understand what God has said and how he wants us to live. This is what it says in John chapter 14. Jesus is talking. Again, as I read this, I want you to notice the Trinity at work in this passage. It says this. It says, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus the Son is speaking, and he's saying, hey, these aren't my words. These are actually the Father's words. Then he says this. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Notice how the Holy Spirit comes in Jesus' name. It's because of what Jesus has done that the Holy Spirit's able to come and dwell. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So what Jesus is pointing to is this reality that, hey, like, I came to fulfill the the will of the Father, and I've spoken what's in line with what the Father said, but I'm going to leave, and there's somebody else who's going to come, and that's the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to get power, the power to understand in two specific ways— He's going to teach you, and he's going to remind you. When it says he's going to teach you, the idea is is he's going to help you understand the concepts. So that's what a teacher does. A teacher introduces new information to us and helps us learn something that we previously didn't know. But then the Holy Spirit, more than just, you know, in a classroom setting, more than just him saying, okay, here's some information, you know, and just kind of presenting us with the facts, because the Holy Spirit takes residence in us, because of the forgiveness of Jesus— Because he's there, he actually functions more similar to how a sports coach would function. If you think like a basketball coach or a football coach, they spend time with their team explaining, here's how the game is played. Here are the rules. Here are the boundaries. Here's how all this works. But then they don't just give the team the information. Then as they practice, they run specific drills so that the players can learn something specific. And then in the flow of the game, what do they do? They, they're constantly teaching the players, hey, when the defender stands like this, you need to do this. When they shift in this way, the ball needs to go over here. When you shoot, you need to have your elbow in. They're constantly on the fly giving input. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit is really teaching us. He is, he's inside of us, and as we go through the flow of life, think of him as kind of our resident instructor. He keeps teaching us. This is what God has said, and then helping us understand, here's how you take that and apply it. But he doesn't just teach us, he also reminds us. And the idea there of him reminding us is to help you recall what you've been taught. I mean, the reality is, is we, it's so easy for us to forget stuff. I mean, sometimes we can forget what was said five minutes ago. I mean, it's so easy for us to forget stuff. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he'll teach us something, but then we forget. So what he'll do is he'll reach back into the past, and then he'll pull it back to the forefront of our mind and remind us what we were taught. So that then in the moment, it's there for us so that we can take it and put it into practice. See, not only does he teach us, here's what God says, here's how you're supposed to apply it, but then he reminds us. He keeps bringing it to the forefront. 
But if we're going to take advantage of the power that he gives to understand, something important for us to realize is the language he speaks. If he, when he speaks to us, how is it that we're going to understand him? How do we know that he is, in fact, speaking to us, that he's teaching us, that he's reminding us? And the reality about the Holy Spirit, when it, when it comes to how he speaks to us, the Holy Spirit speaks Bible. That's one way to think of it. His vocabulary is Scripture. I mean, think back to this passage, John 14. Jesus says, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is speaking the words of the Father. Then when it talks about the Holy Spirit, when he reminds us, it says, everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit isn't just going to make up words, but he's actually going to use what the Bible has said on how we're supposed to live, who God is, who we are. He's going to use that, help us understand it and see how it works in life. He's going to use that, bring it back into our memory, and remind us. So the, the personal implication for us is if we don't know much of what the Bible has to say, if we don't make it a habit and a practice to spend time in God's Word exploring it and figuring out what does the Bible say on different topics, then when it comes to the Holy Spirit speaking to us, it's not that he's not going to speak. It's going to be that we just can't understand him because we don't know his vocabulary. We haven't spent the time learning to understand him. This last week, uh, my daughter, um, we were playing in the living room before she went to bed. And when we were playing in there, she, she's, I've talked about how creative she is, but she gets exceptionally creative right before bed as a delay tactic. And she knows if she can kind of like make me laugh, then I'm probably not going to put her to bed. And I'm a little more of a sucker on this you know, than my wife is. But I, she's in there, and she, we're playing, and she decides, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get dad to play like we're eating pretend popsicles. So she brings these popsicle sticks to me, and she's like, hey, let's pretend. They're pretend popsicles, daddy. So she hands them to me, and we're sitting there, and we're acting like we're eating them. Um, you know, and we're, she's really into it. Like, she's licking the sticks, and she's smacking her lips. So I was like, okay, let's see how far she's taken this. Like, has she thought of a flavor? So I was like, I was like, Olivia, what flavor are they? And she just real confidently, she just blurts out an answer. And the problem was with her answer, I have no idea what she said. She said something, and she said it with confidence. I just don't know what she said. It was either shirt or it was dirt. It was one of those two words. And I could not figure out why she would give me a popsicle that was flavored like either of those. So I clarified. And I said, Olivia, are we eating dirt? She's like, no, Daddy. And then she throws out another. She tries again. She kind of says it a little different. And I was like, it still doesn't make sense to me. So I was like, are we eating a shirt? She's like, no, and she says it again. So we kind of keep doing this, you know, to the point where it was like she was getting frustrated, and I was like, I had just, I'm getting ready to just give up on this. And then my wife, who's overhearing this, she chimes in, and she says, you're eating dessert. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so helpful to know that we're eating dessert and not a shirt or dirt. <laughs> the reality is, is my wife spends more time with our daughter than I do. And because she spends more time with our daughter, she understands her better than I do. And so it wasn't that Olivia didn't want to communicate with me. I mean, she kept trying to say it. I just, I just didn't understand her. My wife did because she spends more time with her. Similar when it comes to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. If we want to understand him, okay, well, what language does he speak? What's the vocabulary that he uses? And then we need to spend time in God's word learning what the Bible has to say so that he can speak to us. And usually the breakdown in the communication, it's really, it's really not on his side, it's on ours. Either a person hasn't received the forgiveness of Jesus, 
the insulation so the communicator of God's word can be resident. Either they don't have that, or we just don't spend enough time learning what he has to say. But the reality is, and this is so amazing, I I promise you today, the Holy Spirit has a personal word he wants to share with you today. He wants to speak to you about something going on in your life. He wants to help you, give you instruction, give you encouragement, give you guidance on something. He wants to give you clarity. Maybe there's a hurt from your past that you're wrestling with, and he wants to speak words of healing. Maybe there's something coming down the road in the future that you're not aware of, and he wants to start to help you lift your eyes and start preparing for that. I don't know what it is, but I know that he wants to speak to you. That's not the issue that he wants to speak to you. The issue is is we don't spend the time in God's word, seeing what it says so that he can then teach us and then use that to remind us. That's the issue. But I know he wants to speak. This last week, how it worked for me is like many of you, I have a kind of a practice of spending some time in God's word and prayer. And so I was up in the morning before I went to work and I was sitting down and I was reading through my Bible and praying. And usually what I do is I'll sit down and I'll I'll, I'll read through a passage, but before I read it, I'll just, I'll pray a little bit. I'll say, hey, God, I, you know, I, I ask you to speak to me, challenge me through this. Teach me something new about this, about who you are or who I am, and help me understand this. Give me something. And so, I, you know, I'm kind of praying through that, and then I'm reading through a passage, and the, the chapter I was reading was Isaiah 22. And in the Bible that I have, the chapters, each chapter has like a little header, so you kind of know what you're getting into when you start reading the chapter. So it says, says, uh, regarding the destruction of Israel. That's what the header is. So I just read through the chapter, and as I'm reading through this chapter in Isaiah, there's a verse that, that kind of like caught my attention. It didn't like explode off the page to me. It wasn't glowing. It just kind of was like, that's interesting. And so I read through it, and this is what the verse says, Isaiah 22, 11. It says, you built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. So when I read that verse, I just kind of real quickly circled the number and then kept reading through it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to come back to that and, you know, see if there's something there. So I came back to that. And again, it's just a, you know, I don't exactly understand what's going on here, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give me understanding. Help me see what's going on here. And as I sat there and thought about it and kind of, you know, compared the rest of what the passage says, what this is referring to is in Israel's history, they had recently been destroyed. They had, they had been taken over by another country, and so now the people had returned, and they were rebuilding the city. And then this passage is saying, hey, even though you're rebuilding and you're all excited about that, you're actually getting ready to be destroyed again. And two of the things that they had done in the rebuilding pass, process that the chapter tells us is it says they built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. What that's referring to is they rebuilt the walls of the city, and then they put this reservoir in the middle where they had clean drinking water. Now, if your city has just been destroyed and you're trying to rebuild, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's build some borders. Let's build some physical protection so we can't be attacked again. And it also makes a lot of sense to say, hey, for the health of our people, we need clean drinking water. So they did what made sense to them to do. I mean, it's logical to do that. But then God comes to them and he says to them, he says, but you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. So I was like, okay, well, what in the world is that talking about? So I simply looked up this same verse in other translations. How do these other translations say this verse? How do they use these words? And what I found is uh, one has the idea of when it says to look to, it, it used ask for help. 
You have not gone to God and asked him for help. Another one, when it says have regard for, it said you have not consulted with him. So it has the idea, this passage is saying, hey, like you did what made sense to you, but you're not really following me. You're not coming to me asking for help. You're not relying on me. And so what you're doing is you're just setting yourself up for destruction again. So when I read that, it wasn't like, Elliot, you're going to be destroyed. This is a passage to you about your impending doom. No, but it was, okay, this is important. When it comes to making our decisions, we're not just doing what makes sense to us, but it's, okay, what, what does God say? Have I gone to him? Have I asked him for help? Have I consulted with him? So then, Holy Spirit, is there an area in my life where I'm not doing this? And actually, there were two decisions that my wife and I had talked about earlier in the week, one having to do with the budget and money, and the other one having to do with parenting. And as I thought about, hey, is there an area where I'm not doing this? Both of those came to mind. And what I had done when we had talked about, you know, our budgeting decisions, I had, you know, I had thought, well, it'd be a good idea to spend some time praying and seeing what God wants me to do. But then I had just actually rushed and sat down and started crunching the numbers and figuring out how to make it all work. I had relied on myself and what made sense to me. Same thing in the parenting thing. We had talked about it, and I thought, you know what, it'd make a lot of sense. It would make sense to spend some time praying and really seeing what God's word has to say on the topic of parenting. But because I've been a parent for, you know, two and a half years now, and I'm just so amazing, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll, this makes sense to me. I'll do it like this. So actually, with both those decisions, I had thought, oh, yeah, I should consult God and ask him for help, but I hadn't. I had just done what made sense to me. And so it's like the Holy Spirit was saying to me through this passage, hey, Elliot, you need to take a step back, and you need to come to me, and you need to ask me for help. You need to consult me because I know best and ask me how I would have you do it. Because just because it makes sense to you doesn't mean it's what I want you to do. He spoke to me personally, directly, on something that I had going on in my life. He gave me understanding and helped me see, okay, here's how I need to handle these challenges that I'm facing as a husband and as a father. It's the same for you. I know he wants to give this to you. But the issue is not him speaking. The issue is you putting yourself in a position where you can hear him when he speaks. He gives the power to understand, but his vocabulary is scripture. So we need to spend the time in God's word so that he can use it to teach us. And then when he teaches us, he's going to bring it back to the forefront and he's going to remind us of it so that we can then start to live that way. So that's the first benefit. The second benefit is he gives us the power to do. Again, I'm going to read a passage, and I want you to notice the trinity in this passage. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says this. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the, the guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. He's an early church planter. So he's recording a prayer he has for the people in the city of Ephesus. And as he writes this, who does he pray to? He prays to the Father, because it's the Father's will who runs everything. What does he pray for? He prays that they may receive strength and they, they could have power, not just kind of a general ability to lift more weights or run faster, but a power on the inside, something specific. And he says, if this is going to happen, it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not just something vague, but the person of the Holy Spirit's the one who's going to give you this power. And the whole reason for the power is what it says here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what's that referring to? What does it mean for Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith? Well, the idea there is if Christ dwells in your hearts through faith, then what you're going to do is you're going to live the way Jesus wants you to. 
So your heart is, is kind of the decision-making control center of your life. It's where everything you do flows out of your heart. So if Christ dwells there, then your heart is going to be organized and it's going to be operated the way Jesus wants it to be. That means that everything that flows out of your heart, everything that you do in life, is going to be the way that Jesus wants you to do it. So what he's saying is he's saying, I'm going to the Father asking that the Holy Spirit would give you the power to live life the way that Jesus wants you to, a life of faith. But what's the result of that? What's kind of the big aim in all of this? This is what it says at the end of the prayer, verse 20. It says this, says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I can ask for a lot. I mean, my request lists can be pretty extensive. I can imagine a whole lot. I have an active imagination. I can imagine all kinds of stuff happening. What he's saying is when, when your life is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, moving you to do what Jesus wants you to do, living the way that Jesus wants you to do, the, what, what's in front of you is really endless opportunities of possibilities, immeasurably more than what you could even think. The impact of your life, the benefits, the blessings, far beyond what you could even imagine. That's amazing. That's one of the benefits the Holy Spirit brings with him. See, reality is, is if you look back over your life, have you done more or less than you intended to do? I mean, if I'm honest, I, I've done less than I intended to do. Human willpower only goes so far. But we're not relying on human willpower. We're relying on the Holy Spirit who's inside of us. And he's giving us the power to do. As he gives us the power to understand, he's also giving us the power to start taking action based on what he's teaching us. And when that happens, it just opens up a whole new world of possibilities beyond what we could ask for or beyond what we could imagine. That's amazing to think about. That's something that is available to us because of what the Holy Spirit's done. But if we're going to receive this power, the power to understand, the power to do, it comes with a condition. And the condition is this. We have to walk with the Spirit. That's the condition, to walk with the Spirit. It's what it says in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the things this verse is doing is it's pointing out this really important reality about the Holy Spirit, and that he's, he's not passive or stagnant or just waiting to give us help, but he's, he's on the move. He's active. The, the Holy Spirit, he's not like AAA. You know, AAA, you get a AAA membership, your car breaks down, you have a flat tire, what do you do? You call AAA, you tell them where, they're at, where you're at, they come, they fix the tire, they give you a jump start, whatever you need, they help you. And then you go on your way and do your own thing, and then you get in trouble again, you call AAA. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not just kind of sitting there, you know, kind of like, okay, when they, when they need me, I'll step in. No, he is, he's teaching us and instructing us so that we'll start moving in specific areas of life. Actually, what he, one way to think of it, I think sometimes we, we overcomplicate what it means to walk in the Spirit. One way to think of it is when he teaches you something, what he's saying is, that's your next step. That's what it means to walk in him. He says, I want, he, he teaches you something from God's word and says, this is important, you need to do this. Well, you know what he's done? He's just identified the next step. 
How do you walk in him? You take that next step. It's not as confusing as we make it out to be. It's not, you don't have to get the body shivers to know that he wants you to do something. It's, he's taught you to start moving. Now, I think the challenge for us, and I can say this because this is something I wrestle with, when he does this, a lot of times what he teaches us and gives us understanding about is not stuff that comes natural to us. He's not, he's, he's teaching us because we need to learn it. He's teaching us because we are not doing it just naturally. So we need to be taught how to do it. We need to be given understanding so that we can take this and we can apply it. The reality is, is what comes natural to us and what's comfortable for us and what we just kind of do, that's what got us in this whole situation with sin in the first place. So he has to teach us a whole new way of life, and that, that doesn't necessarily come natural, and that doesn't always feel so comfortable to us. For me, when I was learning how to play soccer, I was really good with my right foot, because that, that was my dominant foot. I'm right-footed. So I could dribble, I could shoot, I could pass. Everything on my right, I'm good. With my left, I wasn't so good. So then I had a coach, and he was like, Elliot, you really need to learn how to use your left foot. So he would put me through drills, and instead of going to my right, I would have to go to my left. And instead of shooting with my right, I would have to shoot with my left. But a lot of times I was like, ah, coach, I disagree with you, or this doesn't feel right. This just feels weird. It's awkward to do. You know, I don't really like doing this. So even sometimes I would run the drills, and even though I would do the drill the way he said, I would still try to use my right. I was still trying to do what made sense to me. A lot of times we just do the whole, same thing with the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to take action in this area. I want you to move and do this. And we're like, oh, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it in a way that makes sense to me. So I'm going to do it in a way that's not you know, that awkward and unnatural, but a way that's really comfortable and easy for me to do. And then in reality, we're just not doing what he said to do. I mean, let's take, example, let's take an example of uh, clearing up relationships. Clearing up relationship. You read through the Bible. The Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, is going to speak to you on clearing up relationships because it's everywhere. I mean, the Bible is just full example after example of how important this is to God. When we, when we wrong other people, first of all, most people wouldn't even admit that they had wronged someone. But the Bible says we have, and when we do wrong someone and that's brought to our attention, we need to go and we need to take responsibility. Usually if there's conflict in a relationship, and I'm, you know, I'm just speaking from personal experience here. What do we do? If there's conflict, maybe we blame the other person. Well, it wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have done that, but I really only did it because of you. You're the instigator here, so it's all on you. Or we ignore it. We sweep it under the rug and just act like move forward. Hey, just move forward. Act like it didn't happen. You know, water off a duck's back, just shrug your shoulders and keep moving. You know, act like it was nothing. Or if we do ask for, or if we say we're sorry, if we go to somebody and we say we're sorry, Sometimes we say it in a way that really kind of puts them down for being so emotionally unstable to be offended by what we did in the first place. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's really what comes, those are the things that come natural to us when it comes to clearing up relationship, when it comes to us doing something wrong. It does not come natural to us to say, you know what, they might have done this, but I'm still in the fault because I said or did this, and that's wrong. And because I'm wrong, I need to go to them and I say, I was wrong, I did X. Will you forgive me for that? Will you cancel the debt for that? That is not natural. That is not easy. That is not a, oh, this is going to be so comfortable and feel so good to ask for forgiveness. That's not what that is. But I guarantee you it's something the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And it's something as you read your Bible, he's going to teach you on. But as you go and you do that, guess what? He's inside of you. 
So it's not you're just on your own doing something. I'm learning this new thing. It doesn't really make sense to me. It's not natural. No, he's in you. So as you do what he says, when he says, how he says to do it, he's actually empowering you to do that. He's giving you the ability to learn something that you on your own are not good at. That's how you rely on him. You rely on him by taking action based on the instruction. And because he's in you as you take action, then then what he's doing is he's giving you the power to do those things. That's what it means to walk in him. But if we ignore him, if we blow him off, if we don't listen to what he has to say, what's going to happen is is he's he's really going to go silent in our lives. One of the images that the Bible uses to, to communicate this is it uses the word quenched. And the idea in, in the use of that word is, is it's almost like there's this spark. There's a spark and a flame that could bring all kinds of change and all kinds of benefit and blessing. But what we keep doing to that spark is we keep throwing water on it. So the Holy Spirit, he brings something to mind. He's like, this is what God's word says. I want you to move in this direction. And then we're like, no, throw water on it. I want to go do something other than what you said. Throw water on it. We just keep putting it out. And what happens to any relationship that you're in where you ignore the other person and you don't do what they say, you don't listen? What happens? The relationship becomes distant. It's not that he leaves us. He just, we just really lose the ability to understand him because we've stopped listening to him. And one of the images that the Bible paints of what happens when we do this, which this is, this is a scary thought for me personally, is it, it talks about how this kind of this darkness rolls into our life, almost like, like driving in the fog. I mean, imagine navigating life, moving into the future, handling your responsibilities, interacting with other people, and everything's just foggy. You just can't see clearly. You can't make sense. You don't know if you're going in a circle or if you're going the right direction, if you're going north, if you're going south. It's just, it's not clear. As, as we keep throwing water on the Holy Spirit and just being like, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this, that's really what's happening, this fog is settling in. See, if we want his power to understand and we want the power to do, the condition to walk with him is a condition. It's a must. If he says something, we have to do it. We've got to get moving. What he says, when he says, how he says to do it. And then because he's in us, we're not on our own just I, I got to do this and I got to figure out the way to get this done because I'm relying on myself. No, he's with us. So we get to rely on his power as we do it. We're not just dependent on ourselves. And that was the father's plan from the beginning. See, the father's the one, again, he had the will and had the plan. And then Jesus, the son, is the one who implemented it and made it a possibility so that then the Holy Spirit could come and take resident inside of a sinful life like you're in mine. The insulation of forgiveness could allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in there. And the benefits are amazing. And the results of the benefits immeasurably more than you could imagine. But the condition is you've got to walk with the Spirit. I want to ask you to turn or uh, pull out your connection card. Kathy talked about this at the beginning. i got something real quick I want to do on here. On the back of the connection card, we've got growth groups on there. And I'm not, I'm not bringing up growth groups just so you can add something else to do to your week. I'm not trying to fill your week with activities. But I know from personal experience and also from what the Bible has to say on this topic that when it comes to learning how to walk with the Spirit, 
that happens a lot of times, and one of the most helpful ways to allow that to happen is when we have other people around us who can encourage us and challenge us and help us see different things. I mean, there's times in my life where I'm ignoring the Spirit, and then somebody close to me is like, hey, Elliot, I think you need to take action in this area. And there's other times where I can do that for people as well. So groups and group life and these growth groups we're offering this fall, it's not just so, here's another busy thing for your schedule. I, I genuinely believe that there is a unique opportunity for your personal growth and you moving forward in your relationship with God that can happen as a result of these groups. And so again, it's not a, here, here's another activity for you, but it's a, as, as you learn what God has to say through his word and put it into practice and walk with the Spirit, these groups are an invaluable resource to help you really get some traction and movement in those areas. Groups start this week. That's why I'm emphasizing this. So it's not too late to sign up. If you have not signed up for a group, they start meeting this week. So I would encourage you, sign up this morning. I know the benefits. There are tremendous benefits in there for you as you learn to walk in the Spirit and put what he says into practice. And a lot of that happens when we're in the context of relationships with other people. If you'll join me, we'll, we'll pray, and then the band will come up. Father God, I uh, thank you for the fact that we get to come here this morning. I thank you that this was your will from the beginning to, to put together churches all over the world, local representations of your body. And I thank you for the fact that in order to make that happen, you sent your son Jesus, who's come and who's paid the price so that we could be forgiven. And then you've given the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence within us, to permanently dwell inside of us, to help us to live the way that you want us to live. I thank you for the fact that you've done that. God, I, I pray that as we move on from this, I pray that our view of you would be expanded. And I pray that our understanding of of what it means to walk in the Spirit and how to put stuff into practice, I pray that you would continue to challenge us on that. Keep reminding us, keep speaking to us, keep helping us understand as we spend time in your word, figuring out what it is you have for us to say. I pray that we would experience the Spirit's power to give us understanding and the power to do. And I pray that we would walk with you. God, I do lift up the people in Florida um, experiencing Hurricane Irma. God, I pray that your hand of protection would be there. I pray that the relief and all the different efforts that are going to be mobilized, I pray that they would be quick and effective, and that help would be um, real help that would bless people into the future. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.